So I'm going to do my damnedest to not talk about religion on this episode. I really am. Because religion is one of those topics that just bringing it up causes issues in my experience. And I don't feel like dealing with those issues. But I do have to discuss this episode. So I am going to have to bring up religion, at least a little bit. Let's save that for later, though. Right now what I want to talk about is Wagner. This was actually the last episode he presided over. And I don't <laughs> I don't really see it, per se. Like, I don't see any of his particular hallmarks in this episode. But what I do see is you could kind of tell that they were, for lack of a better term, floundering for ideas. Because this is an incredibly classic idea. In fact, TOS has already covered this very idea. Primitive people, advanced people, hey! Right? Very simple. Um, and, of course, this kind of is a Prime Directive episode. Not really, though. And that's why I've mentioned this back in Pen Pals. The Prime Directive didn't actually, wasn't really a big thing in TNG. Not that I'm complaining. Um, because, although they certainly bring up the Prime Directive in this episode, this is not a Prime Directive episode because the episode starts with the Prime Directive being violated. And then it's like, well, okay, now we got to deal with that. And that's why I'm a little more on, on board with what's going on in this episode. This is also the last overt mention of Pulaski in the entire series. Uh, Crusher flat out says, you know, I'm, f I'm familiar with Dr. Pulaski's work in regards to mind erasure. And apparently she's terrible at it because the mind erasure doesn't work at all, but we'll talk about that in a minute. And um, she will actually be briefly referenced much later by Moriarty, I do believe. But otherwise, this is, this is the end of that. I do also want to mention two other things, though. First, you can always tell it's Ron Jones just immediately, can't you? Like, as soon as I, I started up the episode, it was like, Hey, it's Ron Jones, what's up? Um, <laughs> the other thing I like about this episode, though, is this began a trend in TNG. Another thing that Season 3 would begin to do and would carry forward throughout TNG's series. Um, over time, certain props, basically, would show up as a consequence of episodes, and those props would stick around. They're not really called attention to, but in many episodes, and this is, I, I believe, the first time this happens, but this will continue to happen going forward, you will start to notice things that they receive, like, like the most obvious answer is, is the flute. You know, Picard's flute, that's actually something he actually uses in a future episode. But, you know, the flute, uh, the, the tapestry, there's a statue that later Picard gets. There are little bits and pieces that carry through throughout the series. So excellent, uh, excellent props to the props department for having that kind of setting continuity in the background. It's one of the reasons I like TNG so much, because TNG's always actually been pretty strong about setting continuity, making it feel like these are the same people from the last few episodes. Even if the last few episodes do not directly impact this, it still makes you feel like these are the same people who went through those events, and that adds to the enjoyment, at least for me. Now, I feel like my camera's off a little bit here. Oh, right, because we're, my, I've actually moved my camera, sorry. So it's a little bit further away than I'm used to. I've, I did a little bit of set rejiggering here to try and make this a little bit better. Thought about doing a couple different things. In fact, I just want to show you really quick while I'm thinking about it. Uh, one of the things I was going to do was this. Now you might wonder what the point of this is. This is basically the point of this right here. Like you'll notice now it looks like I'm going out into here because that's where the webcam is. So if I gesture over this way, you know, you can kind of see how... It goes that way. I thought about doing this. I'm still not 
settled because I don't quite like the idea of basically just being in a window here for no other reason. I thought about putting like some glass pane in front of me, but that just looked weird. I thought about having a second video here, so I had the looping background out there and then a looping background right here. I ended up just going back with the usual, so we're just going back to this. Anyways, sorry. <laughs> I'm always tinkering on my show. Moving on. So, this episode is an episode that, historically speaking, has kind of pissed me off. And I want to explain why before anyone makes presumptions. Because this is an episode that is primarily about superstition and religion. And like I said, you can't even bring those topics up without people automatically going wonky about it. Not everyone does it, of course, but in my experience, I can't even bring up the word God without people going, Wah! It makes it very difficult to discuss some fiction, let me tell you. So, <laughs> uh, but that's not why this episode tends to piss me off. Believe it or not. In fact, that has nothing to do with it, really. What tends to piss me off about this episode is this speech that's given fairly far in, at about the 26-minute mark, it looks like. I didn't actually jot it down, but it's before the 29-minute mark, mark, where Dr. Bars... I wrote his name down. Hang on. Baron. Dr. Baron. That's a weird name. Dr. Baron is like, you know, you need to go and give these people a thing, and, and Picard just wigs out over this. And he has this big thing about, you know, this, this is super... That entire scene pisses me off. Even now, actually. And the reason why is very simple. It feels like the episode just sort of paused for a minute so that the writers can get up on a soapbox and preach. And I don't like being preached to. Even if you're preaching something I agree with, or if you're preaching something I disagree with, or if you're preaching something I don't care about, it still pisses me off. Because you're preaching at me. And I don't like that. I don't like people getting up and going, Wah! and Lord knows I do that too, and I try very hard not to do that on my show, but God damn it, stop. Let me decide. It's not that hard. <laughs> we'll get to that later, but I wanted to address that because I, I have a tendency to not remember the rest of the episode because of that one scene aggravating me. So at the beginning, we have some reasonably good exposition where Jordy comes up and says, all right, well, I figured out the repairs necessary for a mega super generator. I don't know why they need it. And they just kind of segue into, oh, they need it because they're doing a duck blind. And it's a nice way to explain the concept to the audience because they're basically explaining it to Jordy. It, it, it's still a little clunky because Jordy should know what that is and how it works. Because as soon as he's like, ah, hologram emitter, you can tell Jordy gets it. But then they feel the need to still explain that, even though everyone in that current room knows exactly what they're talking about now. So it's like, come on, guys, you don't need to treat us like we're well, that stupid. You literally show the duck blind later. You don't have to tell us what it is in advance. And that's one of the problems with this script. The first eh, two-thirds or so of the script just feels clunky. Like, a lot of the events and actions are basically leaning really, really hard on the coincidence button. And no attempt is ever made to explain any of this away. Now, Lord knows a coincidence can and does happen. I'm not trying to argue that. But the idea of being like, oh, da -da -da -da, oops, this just happened to go down. They never explain why the, the reactor broke down. They never explain that. They never explain why, despite the fact that the reactor is broken down and apparently isn't producing power, it's producing massive amounts of power 
you know, the amount of current that's going through the electricity, or excuse me, going throughout the, uh, the metal framework of the area, which can then cause people to be electrocuted, is not insignificant. Excuse me. So, so that, huh? they never explain why it's broken. They never explain why it's still putting out a huge amount of power, which is necessary for damaging Liko. Um, the two going out at exactly that moment to go interact with them. Like, they had, what, a five-minute window to discover this? Maybe less? That's insane. And then, of course, the, the series of events just kind of keep going in that coincidence mamba. Like, the, the storm. Oh, my God. This isn't the season for storms? Yeah, storms. This, this is just a thing that happens. You literally had a flood last year, which implies that it's been about a year, which implies that this is the kind of thing that can happen. But no, no, no. It just happens to be happening now. And, of course, it's a thunderstorm, lightning crashing, the most obvious, oh, my God, it's God. That sounds like a weird sentence. Coming down upon us, right? And there's just, I'm not going to cover them all. There's a lot of coincidences that just kind of happen to make the plot go forward. I'm going to fiddle with the camera here for a second. I don't like this angle. Oh, I see what's happening. That's what's happening. Okay. <laughs> Live camera alterations. Because I just pride myself on that level of professionalism. There we go. That's better. Okay. <laughs> Hi. What? I don't use a script. I don't have a persona. What you get is me sitting down chatting Star Trek with you. If that's a problem, you're probably on the wrong show. Now, um... <sighs> I like where they go with this episode, but god damn, it feels like they had no idea how to get there. Like, like, let me give you another example of this, to continue this trend. They, I've talked many times about the definition of victory. And in this case, their victory would be getting, what's his face out? I can't even remember his freaking name, Palmer, I want to say. Getting Palmer out, getting Riker and Troy out, and making sure all of that isn't seen. Okay, I'm with that. That's a good dilemma. Because despite the incredible power of YouTube messaging me to tell me that I'm an idiot... <laughs> Freaking... Uh, despite the incredible power of, uh, of, of the ship and the technology and all, all that's at disposal of the protagonists, what we see here is their, what they require to move forward, what they need in order to succeed, is so tightly defined that that power is limiting to them. And that's good. But then they have no idea how to do that. For example, Riker's like, here, Troy's like, ah, let me make a distraction, and she wanders off. Riker's like, oh, here, let me help you with this. Then he, then he picks up Palmer and he leaves. Okay, I'm with this so far. Why doesn't he beam out the moment he leaves the room? Why doesn't he go around a corner or outside? A corner might not work, but why doesn't he go out just into another room and beam out? The significant relevance here is that he is escaping and that they can try and follow him, but they're literally incapable because they can't go where he goes. So all he needs to do is leave a trail going in a direction and then vanish. But instead what he does is he literally goes outside, tries to go down some stairs, picks him up, Keeps going for a while, goes down the sl slide of a hill, goes around a corner, gets into the cragway, and then beams away. Now, because he takes his sweet frickety time, two things happen. He is spotted, and Troy is captured, setting up the, the further inclination of the dilemma. Instead of what they could have done, which is, da -da -da -da, beam away, there we go, boom, they're out, that's dealt with. And Troy being like, oh, I just don't see it, I... Actually, I gotta be honest, I don't know what the hell Troy was thinking. 
I, I know that sounds weird, but at some point or another, her ruse was going to be discovered. What was her plan going forward? Right? Right? <laughs> Did she think that she could just convince them, oh, I'm sorry, I, I just, I believed that the stranger must go free. I don't agree with punishing someone for super silly, superstitious beliefs, which is a tact she does take later after she's captured. But what was her stratagem here? Like, that's the thing that bothers me. What I would have done is I would have been like, all right, let's go, let's go, quick. You know, oh, God, I saw him just down this way. Here, let me... And then rather than leading from the front, kind of lead from behind, just around that corner. And then as soon as she can, dart around an edge and get beamed up. Beaming takes seconds. <laughs> right? But no, no, no. Anyways, anyways. <sighs> Hi. <clears throat> My name is Lore, and I love Star Trek. Everyone doesn't seem to understand that. Well, I shouldn't say everyone. Lots of you understand this. But every now and again, I get I get someone who does not understand. Like, that, that I've never... As weird as this sounds, I don't understand that mentality. I've had people come up to you and say, if you like Star Trek, this actually specifically has been a thing about Voyager, too. If you like Voyager so much, why do you complain about it? I, I just... I don't understand that. I complain because I like Voyager. Because I am invested in it. Because it matters to me. And I'm not ashamed to admit that. And I'm not ashamed to say that I get upset sometimes when it's like, ah, what are you doing? Right? What do you get more upset at? A complete stranger doing something silly or someone very close to you who you've known for many years and love doing something silly, right? Which affects you more? Which do you think about more? Which resonates with you more? It's this... Sorry, I'm, I'm a little iffy about this because I've been getting a lot of comments on my Star Trek stuff saying, dude, just chill. And I'm, of course, the accusations that I can't, that I don't like Star Trek have just been flying at my face on a regular basis now. I apologize. This is the informal episode, and I'm kind of doing that on purpose, if, I'm, if I'll just be honest with you guys. Because this is an episode that discusses religion and superstition. I gotta do something to lighten the mood. Uh, there's a scene. Where Crusher, let's rewind to the beginning of the episode here, where Crusher beams aboard Liko, and Picard says, why didn't you let him die? Remember that quote. It'll be important later. So she's like, well, because we were the ones who were responsible for injuring him. Now, Crusher's reaction actually makes perfect sense. We accidentally injured this person and would have killed him. Therefore, it is our responsibility to fix this within our power to do so. We bring him aboard, we treat him, we send him back down, boom. There's a couple of problems with this. First of all, apparently they have no idea what a privacy curtain is or a private room is in the Enterprise or in Star Trek in general because, I, I don't know about you guys, but uh, I remember the last time when I was going in for surgery and I remember I was just out in the middle of the open where everyone was able to see me and if I literally came to, I could look around and see people I shouldn't see. Oh, wait, no, of course not. Me here in my silly, I guess this would have been 20, like 16, 15? God, it's been a while now. Um, self actually had a private enclave. It was a little side room with a privacy curtain just to make sure. Right? I mean, doesn't that just make the tiniest bit of sense to, to move him into someplace like that? But instead, he, of course, wakes up and he sees things. And nobody notices him getting up and blearily being like, until finally Picard's like, you... Like I said, clunky. So then they try to erase his memory, Pulaski reference. They fail miserably, never explained. Kind of necessary for the episode to go forward, it's worth noting. 
This is another one of those had-to-happen-because-plot moments. And then Riker goes down. He's like, okay, I'll go ahead and do this. And there's a tiny little detail that I like. It's when Troy discusses one snippet of the Mintakin uh, culture about how the woman, in, in a certain case, will move before the man to indicate that she is the one who basically... Uh... I'm trying not to use a slave metaphor here because that's kind of what it sounds like. But the idea is, if you wish to negotiate for this man's services, you have to go through me. Which sure helps, sounds a whole lot like ownership, but whatever. The point is, I, I thought it was a nice little cultural point to add that kind of a thing. Because, of course, the world builder immediately thinks, well, you know, what if they aren't together? What if it's a younger person? You know, and, and, of course, I started thinking of the idea of, like, a whole pattern of movements that could happen. Like, maybe um, a man walks in front if he is not currently owned. Or they walk side by side if they are currently courting. Or uh, a man walks side by side with a woman if they are currently in negotiations. Or, you know, all sorts of different, like, maneuvers that could be done in order to, to demonstrate this sort of thing in a nonverbal way to other men talking. I just thought that was kind of a cool little thing. And I, I was hoping they could do more with that. But, of course, they didn't. Although they did have a thing fairly regularly where they also showed women leading the men around several times throughout the episodes. That was a nice touch. So, I've been dancing around this so hard. Let's let's talk about religion. Oh my God! Now let's let's be clear about our definitions for a second. Um, I'm one of those people who makes a very stark dividing line between belief and religion. Now, to me, this is logical, but I I feel the need to explain this because I I want to be as communicative as possible. Belief is something you believe. Bam. And it has to be something you really believe, right? I mention that because too many people, like with the word opinion, seem to misunderstand the word belief. You know, if you... <sighs> belief is something only you can say. It's, only, it's something you are the only person who is capable of telling what you believe because it is something so deep, so integral to you that you are the one who knows that you really believe this thing. As, as indicated by the nature of the word. This is something that you hold to be true, right? Now, this can apply to a lot of different circumstances, obviously, but that's the point, really. If you say you believe something and don't, then you don't believe that thing, right? Religion is organization. A religion or religion is an organization or a concept of an organization where a lot of people say they believe the same thing. Now, they may or may not. That's debatable. But the point is, religion is the organized structure. It is a political entity. Again, please don't come yell at me and scream at these. I don't want to talk about this, but that's the religion side of things. I'm not saying religion is bad. I'm not saying religion is good. I'm not saying religion is neutral. I'm just defining things, okay? So, Religion belief, okay? Now, the thing is, in this episode, they almost universally focus on the religion side of things from the dilemma, even though what we're looking at is actually more of a belief side of things. And I bring that up because it's one of the main arguments that Dr. Barron actually gives for this whole thing. We need to establish a religion in order to temper their beliefs. He doesn't use those words, but that is what he means when he's describing this. Now... This is the first fallacy of the episode, in my opinion, because, and I'm going to pull up a quote, quote here, he says, if we do not establish a religion 
in order to govern these beliefs, what we're going to have is holy wars, inquisitions, and chaos. Have you studied history? Because I have. I'm pretty sure organized religion did not do anything to prevent holy wars, inquisitions, or chaos. There's also some other problems with this. <clears throat> Excuse me. I always found the idea ridiculous. Maybe this is just me. But what they're positing is one village and two people are going to start an entire uh, superstitious belief structure. That they're going to found a new religion. Um, I don't want to get into any controversial topics here, but I look at that and I say, Really? <laughs> you too? With your basic lack of evidence? Now, they do have one bit of evidence. They have a stranger who looks different. So, picture the scene for a moment. It's Bronze Age... Uh, God, what is that, like 1200 BC, 800 BC? I don't actually remember. It's a long time ago. And these two, well, they're not called Greeks yet, but, you know, two people in the Greco area are talking and chatting, and all of a sudden someone says, Oh, my God, I have found God. Oh, my God, you found God. It still sounds like a weird sentence. And um, it's, holy crap, there you go, holy crap. We found God. What? Yeah, blah, 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 blah. Oh, my gosh, you're totally right. Uh, but wait, you have no proof. That's true, he has no proof. And then someone brings in a Mongolian. Someone from the steppes, basically. And says, look, it's someone who is different from us. This is proof! That's your proof. That, that's your proof. He insists that that guy is Palmer. But they never identify him as such. Remember, he's basically unconscious the entire time. But he insists this has to be the Palmer. Now, of course, we know this because we're seeing the episode. That is Palmer, and that is someone that Picard is looking for. But take yourself out of that, that out-of-character knowledge for a moment. Put yourself in the mindset of one of the Mintakans. Some guy comes into town and starts saying, Oh my gosh, I found God! He's totally real! The overseer or the overlord, or whatever the hell they call him, is real. And he keeps grabbing these little imps and attacking people with them. It's weird. And as, <laughs> as he's preaching this, you're, like, you're just sitting there probably going, Uh-huh. Probably like you would in real life, actually. If Now, hear me out. Hear me out. If some random guy walked up and said, I found a completely new religion out of nowhere, I imagine most of you would be pretty skeptical of that. And as his proof, he brings in someone who is slightly different. Remember, these are Vulcans. Oh, by the way, that's another coincidence. They, 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 these guys are basically Vulcans. <laughs> so they can reuse the makeup and be effectively humanoid. Yay. Anyways, it's another coincidence, like I mentioned earlier. So here's the Vulcans, and, and we found someone who is slightly different from us. Little different forehead, little different skin tone. That's it. <laughs> I mean, we have people in real life who are more different from other ordinary people than that right now, right? I look at Andre the Giant sometime. Imagine if they had found Andre the Giant. Imagine if they would found, um, I can't think of his name. I really can't. The gentleman who played Wicket in uh, Return of the Jedi. I can't think of his name. Oh, my God. You know what I'm talking about, though, right? Oh, my God, look, it's proof. And then the Mintakan starts spinning the story about him. He has to be Bob because the, the great overlord was using his imps to, to call out for Bob. So this has to be Bob. He's different from us. <laughs> what? And one of the things I find funny is if you pay attention to the episode, they actually seem to acknowledge this. 
because during the earlier parts of the episode, people are like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And then things move forward. And the more, for lack of a better term, crazy that uh, Liko gets, the less people believe him. And I've noticed that as time goes on, people are less inclined to believe this really is the overlord, overseer, overdude, and the over the overcard. There we go. And that maybe this is just some other circumstance. And I find that to be interesting and probably unintentional. But if it is intentional, it's a very subtly done point. Because the idea is people in general, especially emotional humanoids, will tend to react more emotionally in the moment. You know, I keep hitting my thing just like that, right? It's like, oh gosh, react! But if you're not allowed to act on your reaction, you take a moment and your mind kind of starts to take over a bit more and the emotion cools down and you start thinking about it and your opinions can change, your perspectives can change and so forth and so on, right? I mean, this is such a duh. This applies to everything, really. So it makes sense to me that the Mintakans would bit by bit believe in this, and yes, I use that word specifically, less as time goes on. Especially since, ultimately, their only evidence was a guy who looked differently. And that is it. Even the idea that Troy and Riker stole away the stranger is completely explainable in character. She flat out uses the tact I mentioned earlier. We don't believe punishing a stranger for some weird, silly superstition is morally acceptable. So we freed him. That's it. To rewind a little bit, let's take back to our not-Greek people for a moment. And they're like, all right, we have found this proof in this Mongolian person, this person from the steppes. He looks different from us. Therefore, this must be true. And then two other people decide to free him. Because that's ridiculous. You're, you're, you were talking about hurting or injuring this innocent stranger just because he happened to look different than you. Because of your ridiculousness. Come on. And you can see how much more believable and reasonable that that tact is. Um... So then they do their incredibly incompetent escape attempt. Like, seriously, I know you have to have an action sequence in these episodes, and I know that's why that happened, but that was pathetic. I'd like to think that the, the crew of the Enterprise, as of Season 3, is a little more competent than that, but whatever. I want to mention something else. So earlier, uh, uh, Nuria flat out admits that there are two things that they used to believe in as part of a way to exemplify what they call the supernatural. They believed their fates were guided by the stars, and they believed in ghosts, and that the dead still wandered and haunted. Now, these are interesting examples to pick because they are two very media-acceptable targets. The idea of astrology is something that is widely considered to be... Um, well, I don't know what else to do. It's an acceptable target. It's something that is okay to make fun of. The idea of the ghosts, oh my god, and haunting ghost story stuff is another thing that is usually considered media acceptable to make fun of and deride. Whether these things are true or not is not the subject of this video. I point that out because they kind of dance around the topic other than the one scene and try to do so in as neutral a way as they can in a me me medium of entertainment. Excuse me. Stutter, stutter. So, I suppose that brings us to the scene, which I've already talked about briefly. The scene. The scene that pisses me off. It's the one scene where, they, where the writer just gets up on a soapbox, just for this one scene. 
So, make it, if they don't make a religion, it will devolve into holy wars, inquisitions, and chaos, which is stupid, as I've already discussed. Um, he believes this village will spawn an entire religion, which I also find questionable. And then <laughs> Picard says no. Now, I'm with that, because that's so many levels of messed up, right? Going down and deliberately establishing a religion, even with the intent to do good, is basically the opposite of the Prime Directive. And while I do give the Prime Directive a lot of flack, I do agree, believe it or not, with the core principle of the Prime Directive. And that core principle is the idea that... Oh, wow, is that still playing in the background? Um, and that core principle is the idea that we are not trying to mess up other people's cultures when they're not ready to be messed up. Now, there's a lot of wiggle room there, and I firmly do not believe in the idea of an absolute law that applies absolutely in all locations, as I discussed back in Pen Pals, but I'm still on board with the concept. Furthermore, going down and doing this would have enormous consequences. This isn't what happens if you save one Bintakan. This is deliberately going down and establishing a religion which you codify and you decide how it functions. And that has very demonstrable and knowable consequences, which will almost assuredly be bad, especially for long-term development. With it. Now I'm going to ask something very horrible. Why don't they kill all the Mintakans in that village? Hear me out. They keep insisting that this prime directive of theirs is so important that they're willing to even die for it and allow to die for it. That was the point in Pen Pals. That will be the point in the other TNG episode which covers the prime directive in the future. I don't remember the name of it, forgive me. And yet, at no point does anyone bring up the idea of executing this relatively small village of people as a way to stem the infection, for lack of a better term. That is horrible. But if their statements are true, if they really do believe in this Prime Directive the way they state they do, they should be accepting of something that they do not want to do, but still consider it as an option. And for final bit of proof, towards the beginning of the episode, Picard gets really pissed off at the fact that Crusher went out of her way to save one Mintakan life that they damaged. Now rewind for a second. Crusher arguably did the right thing, but she also arguably did the incorrect thing. She saved the life of one person who was injured by their actions. However, in so doing, she set off the entire chain of events. Picture if she didn't for a second. He gets injured, he falls, he dies. He dies of his injuries. The daughter is in, in, inconsolable, but she didn't see anything. She just saw her father fall. She brings it back, and they have this as a cautionary tale for the rocks of the area. The end. No big superstition thing, no big religion thing. End of story. So you can see how what she did was incorrect, if right. Now, perhaps ironically, the entire episode hinges on the idea that they cannot use their advanced technology to correct the situation, that they cannot mind-wipe the gentleman. If they could have, then there would be no episode plot convenience. Uh, if he hadn't woken up in an area in the open where they were actually discussing stuff, none of this would have come to being. Plot coincidence, right? <laughs> if he had just 
been like, and he's just in a room, and there's no one there, and no one to interact with, and then someone rushes in and goes, and that's it? No episode. But apply this again to the deaths of all the people in this village, because this is just one village. And I know that sounds horrible, but if you are so concerned about the Prime Directive and so worried about the idea of descending these people into eras of, and I quote, uh, if I could find it, uh, barbarism, superstition, ignorance, and fear, then kill them and man up, put your money where your mouth is. But it's not even discussed. No one even brings up the option. Now, Picard gives his big speech, which I just quoted. Superstition, ignorance, fear. I refuse to do that. Funnily enough, um, one of the big points I've heard is that, in defense of this episode, is that this episode is pro-religion because it's against establishing a fake religion. And that's a viable perspective to have that I don't agree with. Because, again, the soapbox moment is so blatant. It's, it really does feel like the episode just pauses for a moment so Picard can give his rant about how the ideas of de- descending them into a religion is an era of superstition, ignorance, and fear. The idea being that any kind of superstition, any kind of religion, would thus be leading to these things. You can kind of see the implications there. Also, I know this is a weird thing to comment on, but I find it funny that they kind of try to define the supernatural in this. You know, I am not a god. I don't have the superpowers. Q exists. <laughs> right? There's Q. Oh, is that too much? That might be technology. Okay. Troy's a telepath. <laughs> she is a straight-up psychic. But no, there's no there's no supernatural stuff. I, I mean, I'm sorry, but I've always found it a little bit funny how science fiction tends to view certain supernatural things as acceptable. Psychic being one of the big ones. Anyways. Uh, oh, my back hurts. So... I've given my own alternate solution here. Kill them. Arrange it. It would be ridiculously easy. You could beam them into space if you don't want to leave a trace. Or, if you want to do something really horrible, you could just introduce a particular virus to the group that will kill them very quickly. You can't tell me you don't have one on file or can't engineer one. And they all die of this plague. And then the next time a trader from another village comes by, they say, oh my gosh. This is Bronze Age. That kind of thing happened. No one would bat an eyelash. If you really cared, you could even have people continuing to observe this particular village to ensure that they don't, like, write down the Picard in in a clay tablet or whatever. Or if they do, remove the tablet. Boom. No evidence, no nothing. Just a dead village from a plague and a bad well. Done. But there is another solution. Now, what's funny is this other solution is exactly what they do. Be honest with them. Now, this is also violating the Prime Directive in a big way. But I credit the episode for being willing to do this because of the definition of victory. From about the 29-minute mark onwards, the episode just suddenly gets a lot better in general, I've noticed. Um, Because Picard decides, I'm going to go ahead and find the leader of this particular group of people, this village. I'm going to bring her up here, and I'm going to tell her the truth. I'm going to explain to her 
in simple terms, exactly what's going on. And Patrick Stewart nails these scenes, I might add. I know that he was complaining about not having a lot to do, but holy crap, Stewart just nails these scenes. There's this wonderful bit where he watches What's-Her-Face die, and she says, you know, you can't even prevent the dead, and he says in the perfect tone, no. And then he gives this horrible, like, you could just feel the grief running through him, as an undercurrent underneath the completely stoic face as he gives a speech about how for all our technology and all our advancements and all our ability to fight diseases and viruses and push back you know, our life expectancy, we are still powerless against mortality. And it's a great speech. But this, too, has significant consequence. Basically... This is one of the reasons why I feel the episode is a little bit slanted anti-religion, because it's totally unacceptable to establish a religious precedence. False. Accepted. But regardless, the idea of establishing a religion of any kind is seen as unacceptable. Establishing the understanding that aliens exist and space travel is real, perfectly okay. Now, whether you agree with that stance or not is not my point. I'm not even saying if I agree with that stance or not, because that's not the point. The point is that that is clearly the stance of the writers, and it feels just a little bit too soapboxy for me. And that's the last time I'm going to bring that up. I think we're officially on. We can move on to the good parts of the episode, which I have the least notes of. Picard brings her up. She kneels. Great music. Ron Jones just nails it this episode. And then Picard says, no, no, stand. You do not wish it? No. I do not deserve it. Nice touch. Picard really does... This is where the episode shines, because his arguments to convince her of the reality are wonderful. Although, am I the only one who noticed that the uh, the sliding doors were not on his side here? Like, we've seen sliding doors before. It's an, or, it's an old thing. We've seen that as, as original series, right? Like, that's as old as that is. But when Picard goes to leave, they go... Whoosh, like just a little slower and with a dramatic whoosh just to and even when they close it's like oh come on I'm trying to I could just picture Picard turning to the doors and being like dude I'm trying to convince her that I'm not a god dude come on anyways so why did your people live in caves I love that argument why do you why do you have the ability to kill from a distance well I have a bow yes but they don't know what a bow they have no concept of a bow his argument of technological progression his way of explaining it to someone who has no idea of what a starship is is phenomenal I really really feel this is one of the better written parts of the episode I I don't have much to say about it other than to gush about it because all of his presentation makes perfect sense and is a great way of reaching her. The one flaw is when she insists, will you please bring these people back from the dead? And it's like, well, okay, no, we don't have the ability to do that. I lack the capacity to do that. Now, the argument could be made, flimsy though it is, that she believes that anyone with a level of sufficient technological advancement that they have would be someone who could bring back the dead. It is perhaps fortuitous, plot coincidence, that someone in the staff is dying as he's trying to make this argument to her, so that he and she can go witness a death amongst their people. What was he going to do if he didn't have that coincidence, I wonder? All right, I didn't reach her. Beam up the next one. But instead, and I do admit, despite the plot coincidence, I do like this point, because what... 
he reaches out to her. He convinces Luria 100% absolutely of the fact that they are simply another group of people with the most quintessential essence of what being mortal is about. It's not dying. It's powerlessness. That even despite all of our advancements and all of our technological progress, we still can't do certain things. That certain things are beyond us. That we can't just... Right? I like that argument. And again, as I said, Patrick Stewart's deliverance of that speech is phenomenal. He even flat out calls it out as powerless. And that is what convinces her. I love it. Um, now, I have two notes before I end here. Uh, one I want to talk about Liko, and one I want to talk about resentment. Obviously, one of the most overt consequences of being honest with these people is they now know that way more advanced people are up there and out there and fully aware of them. What, right now, they're like, okay, you know, we understand where you're going with this. And, of course, for some reason, they're all completely on board with the Prime Directive because it's the, it's the right thing to do. But what I find funny is that that actually makes sense because they're still in the moment. Fast forward a few months... A bad harvest happens, or trade season goes bad, or war starts, or a plague sweeps through, like I was hinting at earlier. Tell me, do those people, or do you think those people are going to have the same philosophy of, oh, it's totally okay, or are, they, are you going to start to see some resentment grow into these people's thoughts? Because they know there's someone out there who could just help them fix this. And sure, you could take the societal view of, well, we need to learn to do this ourselves. And maybe this could be the kind of thing that could encourage people to try harder. Knowing that solutions exist is a very important part of progress. But say that to a man whose wife has died. You always got to keep that personal perspective in addition to the societal perspective. Which brings me, rather nicely, to Liko. Now I just want to say huge credit to the actor whose name I don't remember. Hang on. <laughs> I'm just going to pull it up here now, because it usually lists guest stars. Uh, Ray Wise. Ray Wise. He's a good actor. Uh, I've actually already covered another episode of his, which he'll be doing in the future, in Voyager. I can't remember his name, but he plays the guy. He was like, oh, I will take you to the Borg. He nails that role. Funnily enough, though, here as Liko and there as Alien Dude, he plays the same basic role. Someone who is so distraught to the point of derangement over having suffered a personal tragedy, and he is crumbling mentally and emotionally as a consequence and willing to do crazy things, violent things, as a resultant. Now, I don't want to say he's typecast or anything, but he does do that role very, very well. Um, and I have to say, one of the things that I never really noticed before is Liko's undercurrent story throughout this whole episode. Because I don't think Liko believes in Picard. Hear me out. He's like, oh my god, I, I thought I was dead, but I was brought back. One of the things, one of the most subtle things they do in the whole episode, and it, I mention this because it's funny is they have this undercurrent of his wife who died in a flood last year. Now, they mention this like six times in the episode, but each time they do it differently, and they, they do it, obviously, 
but not overtly, if that makes sense. There's no giant neon sign saying, my wife died. Instead, you know, your mother would be so proud of you. Just a little thing like that, right? Or, you know, my, my own wife was lost last year, last year in the flood. You know, maybe that was a result of that. You know, just, just stuff like that. It's mentioned here or there, and we get little bits of that backstory. And what we see is really brought forth when he gets down and he flat out says, I will die. I will lay down my life if that will cause you to be able to bring her back. And that's the real eco. Not the religious nut. Not the superstitious nut. Not the believer. Just a man who's hurting. And I do like that. It explains so much about his performance and his characterization and why he pushes this so hard because I, I thought I was dead. I thought I was dead, but I'm still here. And what's one of the first things he thinks about? Maybe this can apply to my wife. Right? And that's his focus this whole time. He doesn't care about pleasing the Picard. He doesn't even really think the Picard is a big deal because he doesn't care. He cares about getting his wife back. He cares about getting that one individual that matters so much to him that his life has been absent in her absence. The You could just see the man crumbling. It really comes to a head when he's willing to shoot Troy. And you could just see, he does some good facial acting, despite the makeup. You could see the desperation there. And Troy is just talking to him, and he, he just kind of lowers the bow, because he really doesn't want to hurt her. He's not a violent person. He's just desperate. If you ever tasted desperate, you know what that feels like. You know that moment of, if it'll work. It probably won't, but by God, if it'll work, I'm willing to do this. And you got to kind of psych yourself up for it, because this is not something you want to do, right? This is horrible, but uh, I've got to... I mean... Uh, you know, <laughs> you just see it all over his face. And then he's finally willing to shoot Picard, and when he does it, he does it, he, he clenches his face. It's a brilliant, tiny bit of acting. It's less than a second, but he does it. You could just see himself bracing himself, like you could see the anger of... Urgh! As well as that resentment because either this is someone who is refusing to give me what I need or I can't get what I need and both ways it sucks the only thing that undermines Liko's character that the whole thing is the very last scene where he's like you know, we, you know, we totally would freak out if we knew about you That's, I don't like him even being present in that scene if I'm being honest if I was rewriting this episode I would have him not be there and let the audience wonder what happened to Liko why isn't he there don't mention him just leave that question mark I did actually like this episode even though it did still piss me off so I hope you've enjoyed my uh, meanderings about this one, and I'll see you guys next time.